Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we're looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. Welcome to the playground, the brain playground. That's right. Today we are talking about Minute minute 94, which begins with brain play and ends with Loki got away. Back on the show, we have Matthew Fox. Hello, Matthew. Hey, everybody. Glad to be back. We're continuing our conversation in the sick bay uh, between Nasha, uh, Nasha, <laughs> between, <laughs> between Natasha and Clint. Um, one of my favorite moments in this minute is Natasha pours a glass of water for Clint and then just leaves it there. <laughs> the conversation, which we'll come back to tomorrow when somebody finally does something with it. But it's just like she goes over. She's like she's as an actress, you know, she's like, I need business. I need something to do. I'm going to go over here and pour some water. But then I'm just going to set it down. <laughs> uh, but really, I mean, we're getting this. It's a kind of a, a serious moment between the two of them. Um but I can't help but wonder, is is this a moment where Clint is just kind of mansplaining to her about how traumatic it is to have something like th- this happen, knowing that she's been through this, but I guess because it's him, it's like, oh, but I have to tell you about it now because this is really terrible. But, oh, okay. <laughs> Has she been through this? That's, I don't want to, like, I'm all about, like, getting rid of the mansplaining, but is this the same thing that she had? Are we all settled on that? I, and we talked about this yesterday. At this point in time, it's pretty much a blank page as to her past. And wow, wouldn't it have been great if after this movie, if they had said the next movie should be a Black Widow movie. Yeah. Where they tell us that story. Would have been Instead amazing. Giving it that movie to us 10 years later, however long, much longer it took. It, it is to me a very bittersweet scene for that reason, because I think we did eventually get that story, but so much later, and I think really not paid off in quite the same way that I would have liked, that I think it's hard for people to... To watch, I, I think if this, if, if the Black Widow movie had come out shortly after this, it would have made this scene hit so much more powerfully because we would know that, yes, he should know, or maybe he doesn't, he doesn't really know. Maybe it was one of those things where like, you know, she only told him part of it. Like, I think there would have been, oh, now I'm getting all frustrated again about the Black Widow movie, which is a great <laughs> movie, but should have come 10 years earlier, eight years earlier. I'm bad at math. It is made less because of its timing. Exactly. It introduces what is, to me, one of the most fascinating ethical questions around heroes and these kind of things, which is, what is the moral responsibility of someone who is mind-controlled? And how much does that change when it is the kind of mind-control that we think can happen in our own world in terms of, like, young people being brought up in cult-like situations, up to hypnosis, up to, like, the furthest expanses of what we can think of as brainwashing in our world today and then crossing a line into like purely magical super sciencey quite literal brain control right i think there are fascinating questions of moral responsibility there and natasha clint and bruce are all dealing with some aspect of that of to what extent are you morally culpable for the things that are done by your body when something else is somewhat in control and yeah, I think you're right. The question of is what Loki did to Renner morally equivalent to what growing up in that situation did to Natasha? 
And I, I wish that that question had been further explored either in this or at least in a later movie because it has a lot of power, but then they just don't do anything with it. Yeah, this is the emotional hand-wavy part, right? Like, and, and it's okay because what we get out of this sequence of them sort of absolving one another of their histories emotionally, right, is it puts them on the same level, right? And they need to be on the same level because everyone else is just outpowers them in every possible way. And so we, this is the mini team within a team, and it's fine. But I, I just want to, to pose the question, did they do enough to explore how Mindstone treatment might be different from cult-like, you know, brainwashing? that Natasha did. Well, there is, there is something, remind me again, but in the Black Widow movie, there is something that they are all, some sort of thing that they are all, that is kind of controlling them, because isn't that the whole thing at the beginning where they are, I can't remember what they're doing, but they're injecting them or something with something that kind of breaks them from it. Like, that's what right. happens to Florence Pugh's character. Like, the magic purple smoke or oh, whatever. Oh, God, that, you're absolutely yeah. right. There's magic purple smoke puff. And, and to me, that's one of the most disappointing parts of the movie because yeah. it, again, it removes the agency. Where, yeah, instead of Florence, instead of um, Elena, getting to have a moment of like rec of recognizing that she is morally uh, questioning the things she's being told to do and her fighting against it, it becomes a completely non-agency, it just happens to her. When the stories, like the Red Sparrow stories, are legion and so much better, right? The fact that the the Soviet like infrastructure for brainwashing people who were willingly brainwashed in some respect because they had no other choice, right? Their lives were so bad otherwise, they were willing to do these, these horrible things and let themselves be under the, that kind of control are incredibly powerful stories and like taking the agency away from from them just sort of neuters it and the black widow program because something less than so you can look at it as everything from like you know child soldiers in parts of the world where that you know they're recruited yes. at age six to become soldiers all the way through you know if you go on tiktok and type in exvangelical you'll get all these stories about people who grew up in right. everything from conservative christian to, to flat out you know fundamentalist cults and talk about like how much deprogramming they had to go through. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's the, it's the, the both joy and frustration that I always bring to these stories where like kind of, you know, I always joke that like with civil war, I wanted half an hour of Tony and, and cap in a boardroom bureaucratically arguing back and forth on what level of accountability is or isn't okay. The format of these movies is I say something that establishes my emotional grounds you say something that establishes your emotional grounds, and then we punch each other instead of actually settling that. I do think that the scene also, though, does something very important for the movie, which is that they want us to fear Clint, but they never want us to actually dislike him. And this is the scene that, by Natasha forgiving him, it tells we in the audience we can forgive him. And I think re-watching the movie this morning, I was noticing, you know, Loki kills 80 people in two days. Can you name a single person Loki killed? Or certainly a single person that Hawkeye helped him kill? Well, the only one that, that is given much personality or, or much of a persona for us to identify with is the scientist whose eyeball he plucks out. That's right. The, that's the closest we get. And, and even there, that looks like a horrible thing Loki did. That's Hawkeye's idea. 
Hawkeye says we have to do that. But again, it's a blink and you miss it. And the the movie never shows us Hawkeye doing any truly horror. He never shows us him taking a direct action that causes someone to die. Oh, no, we do. We see we see some of the security guards at the uh, security center. He he kills two of them with arrows. Yeah. Okay. No, you are correct. You're correct there. But again, there there are people who aren't named. We don't really know anything about them. And it's a very bloodless kind of thing. And yeah, all this is just to say, I think the movie took pains to establish that he had turned bad without going so far that we have any trouble forgiving him when Natasha forgives him. That's true. Yeah. And I mean, even to the point where like he, you know, they say we have to show him feeling guilty about it because we get that here, which is an interesting psychological element in this whole conversation we're having here where he says, how many agents? And she's like, don't do that to yourself. Clint. Like she instantly (laughs) already is telling him, you don't have to worry about that. It's Loki. It's monsters, magic, all this stuff. And instantly taking any sense of guilt that he should have about any of that away from him. And and hence the audience saying, we're meant to love you because you were mind-controlled, and none of that was actually you. Whereas compare that to Bucky Barnes, who was also mind-controlled, but in a fair, I think, in a way that is kind of closer to the Natasha. It doesn't involve an actual, like, magical mind-control device. It's just, you know, psychological reprogramming. Um, maybe it does involve something beyond what we know. It's never exactly made clear. But Tony certainly holds him morally culpable for the actions that the Winter Soldier took. And then later in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he himself spends most of the movie, most of the series, dealing with his guilt about the things that Winter Soldier did and having to apologize. And, and so again, it's, it's very, to me, the only moral difference between what Clint does or what Natasha did and what Bucky Barnes did is that the, the Bucky Barnes show is interested in his moral explorations in a way that it's not with Renner's. So really, the the solution would have just been at some point with uh, Steve to perhaps just give Bucky a, a bumper sticker that says "Be like Clint." Yeah, you know, it, it's just, <laughs> like that's, that's all you really need. And same thing with Tony; it's just like "Be like Natasha." No, no, it's not. It's it's not him. <laughs> and again, I apologize. I'm jumping forward to later projects all the time, and so if I'm spoiling things, apologize too. But I'm trying to remember in. You have the same dynamic is set up in Ultron, the second Avengers movie, where the twins, Scarlet Witch and um, Super Speed Boy, who's uh, Quicksilver, uh, although they never call him Quicksilver, I think, because, again, X-Men writes, uh, Pietro. I'm sorry, did you just call him Speed Boy? <laughs> what, <laughs> I think you know, it was Super Speed Boy. Super uh, Speed Boy. Wow, that's the, the Flash in Marvel. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but not the best version because he doesn't listen to time in the bottle. Right. But um, <laughs> there you have the same thing. Of those, those two aren't brainwashed at all. They're, they're quite literally making their own choices and they're forgiven quite quickly by the Avengers. And I seem to remember it was... Like, I know Clint goes in to give Scarlet Witch that that sort of pep talk of like, look, we're we're fighting these things. All I've gotten is a bow and arrow. We need you out there. It's interesting to me that he's the one who sort of helps them. And I wish there had been more of him making that connection of like, look, I also and, and maybe there is. I honestly just don't remember that movie enough. I think that this is one of the elements that we end up getting a lot in these films, unfortunately, is like these elements where they are giving us some potentially interesting psychological 
examinations of the characters that are very cursory because, again, they're trying to appeal to a four-quadrant audience. You don't want to make it too complicated for the the, uh, seven-year-olds in the audience. And it's just enough for it to be there for us to really kind of get a sense. So we go, oh, wow, that must be really hard. Okay, well, at least now he can go fight now. And that's pretty much, you know, pat on the back and everybody's ready. And it's it's kind of the way that they move through these stories. Well, and it's also the arc that, that they want us to have with Hawkeye, which is, look, he's not, this isn't a character we're going to spend a lot of time grieving for or with. We're just going to use him as a foil for the comedy that he's the one with arrows. And the movies play on this repeatedly. SNL played on this a bunch, like when he was a, a, a guest host. That's the part, the superficial part that they want us to think about with this character. You want any more than that? Go read the comic. Yeah. yeah. Or watch some of the, the, the TV shows that will later come out later. They have more time to explore it. Right. But even then, it's like, let's, it's let's put this other person in, yeah. in the show. <laughs> we'll say goodbye to you, Jeremy. Thanks for yeah. your time. It's kind of funny. Can I actually add one more thing to it? It is interesting that Renner goes bad again later in his story, where it has nothing to do with mind control. It's him acting out of grief. And um, when, when uh, in, in the later Avengers movies, when the loss of his wife and his, his, cho- his children has him going off and murdering people of color because he thinks they're doing criminal things. And the movie is very gentle to him in ways that I think a lot of people are like, eh, no, we should, Ronan's a pretty bad guy. But it's interesting that he kind of does this twice, once with mind control, once with, as you were saying, Pete, a very, like he, he is clearly out of his normal mind but in a way that I think we find much more culpable because it's not, his grief is not a mind control in the same way. Right. What does he mean when he, when he asks Natasha, why am I back? Because then, then it's like, how did you get him out? Is this him thinking, like, is there some internal sense that he actually thought Loki was going to be in his head for the rest of his life and then potentially, I mean, as we find out in the conversation when Loki is talking to Natasha, at least at least the way that Loki describes it. We don't know if Loki's intentions actually were this, but were to like kill Natasha in the most painful way possible and have Hawkeye or have Hawkeye do it and then kill him. And so is this, is this low, is this him saying, I never thought I'd actually be out again. I didn't take it as that. I took it as once I'm compromised, if I'm a danger, you shoot to kill. Oh, interesting. Like I think he turned, he, he's, which if we remember, uh, Nick Fury did. Like Nick, Nick tries to just shoot shoot Hawkeye, and with legit reason because he's a, he's a legit threat. And I think Black Widow, especially, she has also been trained first by her original trainers, but also by Shield. That when someone is a threat, the fact that you have an emotional connection to who they used to be and maybe they could be again, you don't think about that. You shoot to kill. And I think he, what he is saying is that he knows that what she did is both out of character for who she is, but also out of character for how she was trained. Yeah, I, you know, I, I buy that. Again, I feel like um, that's just an element of this, uh, of this entire relationship that has done such short shrift. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's not complete. Like we have to jump through an awful lot of hoops to, to sort of get to the levels of the extremities of their relationship. And it's really honestly doesn't pay off until uh, Endgame. Right. Or or uh, Infinity War. One of them, whichever one, you know, the one I'm talking about. It's that one. That's the one where it feels like this this argument finally gets put to to rest in terms of what they're willing to do to each other and for each other. So it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
We get a cognitive recalibration joke, uh, which, you know, kind of plays funny. It sounds like something serious, but really it's just I hit you really hard in the head, which, you know, I guess it's fine. Uh, also, the same thing happens to Eric as we find out when, when, uh, when Tony will try to blast the Tesseract machine. The last thing that I want to talk about in this particular minute, Natasha, as we've already talked a little bit about this, but when she's saying, don't do this to yourself, Clint, this is Loki. This is monsters and magic and nothing we were ever trained for. But here's my thinking here. Like, Fury has known about all of this for decades. Uh, You know, there's been things going on since the mid-90s. Plus, he's known for at least a few years that he's been building this Avengers team, and I would think that there would be some that he would have already let these two know, hey, we're going to be needing to figure out how we can start taking on gods and all this sort of stuff, so let's start doing some additional training. Is Does it does it uh, strike you funny, the, the way that she describes this line, or, or how do, how are you reading into it? I'm not reading into it at, at quite at that level. I, I, I do think, again, the line is designed to keep us on this track that they're the hum- humans, <laughs> right? They're set apart, and I'm, I'm kind of fine with that. I think for me, I, I would go a little deeper on the reading. Not, not on, Peter, I'm not saying you're wrong in the slightest, but I think— No, I get I, it. I know exactly where you stand now. <laughs> <laughs> I only have one leg. I don't stand very often. But um, uh, no, my point being that I think that part of what's underlying is that, yes, Fury has some knowledge, but it's still incredibly limited. Because frankly, if I said to you, okay, we have found out that these alien beings have godlike powers and they can come down to our Earth and summon these huge metallic destroying machines and they can fly and they're invulnerable to bullets— all of that wouldn't necessarily lead me to think they can also just touch your body with one of their metal spears and your mind will be completely under someone else's control. Like, that's still a leap I think that none of them had any reason to make. To me, I think Nick Fury wouldn't have really said, okay, here's all the things we know they can do. He would say, we don't know what they can do. And and you're right, maybe that there would have been some level of preparing for what you don't know to prepare for. But I think, and, and even then, I think there's still something for... We spent three years readjusting, but 30 years of our lives trained, you know, our, our traditional training had no idea with any of this. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there's definitely ways that you can kind of um, see all of that. Like, just because there are aliens doesn't mean they even know how to start training for aliens, right? right? It's like, well, we know we probably are going to have to do something else, but we don't really know what. Like, we just don't know exactly how we're going to do it. So, so I can, I can see that. Well, let's wrap uh, this minute up. We'll be back tomorrow with you, Matthew, to talk about Minute 95. So uh, tell everybody again about uh, your podcasts and uh, where people can find them. I am The Ethical Panda. You can find me at theethicalpanda.com. I do two podcasts. One is called Superhero Ethics, where we explore the kind of questions that I keep kind of poking at about, like, what's the moral culpability? Um, It, amusing enough, all started with me and my best friend. Uh, We're always going back and forth about Team Tony versus Team Cap and how it, it seems like it's a simple question, but actually there's just so many layers and layers to that question. And now that's the kind of thing we explore on the podcast. Um, we've just recently done a number of episodes on The Last of Us, uh, as well as part two of the video game, on all the questions that, that show and that that game raises. We talk about everything from sort of why is it that recent generation, you know, my generation grew up obsessed with vampires, recent generations are obsessed with zombies, what's, what's up there, to the moral choices that different characters are making to the larger questions of, 
telling stories in a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, so we get into all those kind of things, lots of great episodes there. Star Wars Universe podcast is pretty much what it says on the tin, but I'll say that we don't, that's not a podcast where we get into like, you know, is the B wing or the A wing, which one's faster, which one has more firepower. Love those conversations. Very glad for the podcast where they happen. We're really interested in, again, kind of like, you know, the stories, the characters, the, the philosophy of the Jedi and, you know, who's responsible for Anakin falling. Hint, it is Anakin, but other people also bear some responsibility. It doesn't let him off the hook, but it's an important part of the story. We get into those nuanced questions. We've been having a lot of fun with the new material that's coming out. We're doing a lot of stuff talking about, you know, what do you need to know to get ready for Ahsoka and the other stuff that's happening. Uh, all that is there. And on the website, again, The Ethical Panda, you can find all the podcasts. You can also find all the ways to find us, be that on TikTok. Um, TikTok, we, we do a lot on TikTok. Actually, it's a great place to find a lot of our content. Twitter, Facebook, and most importantly, all those things are ways you can contact me and contact us. I love getting comments, love getting feedback. I've got a couple of great ones that have come in in the last couple of weeks I'm looking forward to diving into. So yeah, theethicalpanda.com is your window into all things me. Fantastic. We'll have the links in the show notes. Check those out, everybody. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 95. So, Pete, thanks as always. Andy, today I wasn't thirsty. Tomorrow, maybe. We have spoken. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.